This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways. But the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing, is to give our attention to Jesus. Hi, friends. And Happy New Year. This is our first podcast for 2023, which sounds so weird. I actually had to write it the other day, and it's going to take me a little while. I'm so glad that you're joining me this day, wherever you are and however you are listening. I pray blessing over you and blessing over your year. May this be a year of increased revelation of how loved you are for each of us, really. To begin this new year, I'm really excited that we're going to do a little series of people sharing their testimonies. There is so much power in hearing them. It helps you to remember your own, to remember the hand of God, His intervention and His care, His pursuit and His grace, and His love. So I thought it was only fair that I begin with sharing mine. So relax, and I will tell you a story. It's my story, but it's God's story, really, of, again, his intervention and his care, his pursuit, his grace, and his love. Ready? Okay. So I was raised Catholic in a home in Prairie Village, Kansas, which I loved And it was a faith that my family took very seriously. My mom actually almost became a nun. So the honoring of the Trinity, the adherence to the church calendar, taking worship very seriously was important. And I'm really grateful for that. And in the midst of that, my family was a hard place. It was very broken. My mom was a very unattached mom with her own unhealed wounds. My father was gone the bulk of my childhood as a traveling salesman. Um, He was an alcoholic, and he was also bipolar. So there was a lot in my family. Plus, my mom and dad's relationship was, um, can we just say, not the best. So home, home was not a safe place, and yet in the midst of that, there was the elevation of faith. So it was really a mixed bag. But because my family was a disaster, um, when I was 10 is when I started really acting out. We moved when I was 10. We moved to Southern California. And whoa, was that a huge shift from Kansas. It just was crazy. I started smoking when I was 10. I started drinking when I was 11. And I started smoking marijuana when I was 12. Then when I was 13, the family that was leading the youth group, because I went to that every week. I didn't go to Catholic school. So every week I'd go to what's called catechism to learn more about the faith. Well, this family had gotten a hold of it who were all born again. And so they gave us Bibles, Catholic Bibles. We all started reading them. And they had hippie, cute, young men with long hair come in with their guitars and sing songs about Jesus. So this whole new thing about 
being in love with Jesus just gripped my heart. And, and I chose him. I was all in. I prayed. I was born again, still Catholic and just loving God. And, and it was really good. But then our family fell apart yet again. And the family that was leading that group weren't leading it anymore. And I really fell away. Um, to the point that by the time I was 16, I was really questioning even the existence of God. I was back into smoking pot and doing drugs. And I remember going for a walk one night and looking up at the sky and, and the stars and thinking there was no God. And it felt so cold. It was really awful. That was such a lonely feeling. I went on. I ended up going to college, and I did lose touch with Jesus in a huge way, but I still ached with the memory of him. And every now and again, I'd go to church, like every, you know, six months, just because I remembered. But in those days, I would say that I used to be a Christian. And in those days, I also got involved with very dark worldly things, harmful things, um, promiscuity, alcohol, drugs. In fact, I want to give you just a little more coloring of my past and growing up years and what formed me, because we don't have four hours, so I can't expound on this. But let me just say that my history involves sexual abuse, sexual assault, emotional abuse, my story includes abortion, a suicide attempt. It includes spiritual darkness where I opened up, whoa, so many doors. It includes waking up in strange places that I didn't even know how I got there. So when I say that I was involved in dark worldly things, that I was a broken woman, that I was a harmed woman, that I needed so much healing and that I... I was under so much self-hatred. Believe me. When I was 21, I hit the ground hard. I was at the lowest point in my life, and I didn't really see any point in going on. I, I didn't like my life. I didn't like who I had become, but I couldn't do anything about it. I was home one evening in October, and I called a friend to get together, whose name is John Eldridge, who I went to high school with. And he came over, and he shocked me with the story that he had become a Christian. Now, John was the furthest thing from a Christian in high school, like, I mean, completely. He was an evangelist to not believe in God. So his conversion was dramatic. It rippled through the news in, in our whole community. And I was so intrigued and something in my heart burned with, I remember Jesus. So I went into my room after he left and I pulled my old Catholic Bible from the shelf. I blew the dust off and I brought it back to school with me. I was in school in San Diego. One day... I think it was in April, and I was 21, and I was desperate. I, I went to that Bible, and I opened it up, and my eyes fell on Matthew eleven twenty eight. You know what it says. It's Jesus, and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh my goodness, I felt the love of God in that moment and his invitation. And I hit my knees, said, I am weary, God. I am weary. I come to you, Jesus. That was my salvation prayer or my re-salvation prayer or my rededication, whatever you want to call it. It was the moment when I turned from my life. I turned from everything that I was trying to do to ease my pain, to soothe myself, to find life and meaning. I just said, ah, none of it is working. None of it is good. And I need you, Jesus. And he came. He he came. He honored that. Man, I was immediately freed from a bondage to drugs and alcohol. I had tried before to stop. I couldn't go 24 hours. And then it was one day when I realized it had been two weeks since I had done anything. I was, I tell you what, I was in. Now, other things in my life, like an unhealthy attachment to food that's rooted in my past, those have been a longer journey. You know, some things you have to walk out. Some things drive you deeper in desperation to the feet of Jesus, as this has done for me. And I'm not done. I'm on the way. I'm on the road. But, oh, friends, the joy of forgiveness, forgiveness of everything, forgiveness from the king of the universe, and then increasingly the invitation to forgive myself. Wow. The joy of grace, the joy of being loved. Ah, Jesus had my heart. He had my life wholeheartedly. I was in. And in that season, I lost all my friends immediately because I turned away from that lifestyle. I got to share with many of them my faith and what had happened because they were very curious. But honestly, I remember this one time that I'd still get together with them and we were in a big circle and people were passing a joint around and it came to me and I didn't take any and I passed it on and it made them so mad. And I realized I, I couldn't gather with them anymore. It didn't feel good anyway being in that. But I could meet with them separately and tell stories and share, but not often. And I was at university alone with no friends. I knew John, but he lived two and a half hours away. So that year, I became very involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. They had a table in the quad where people would advertise their groups and things like that that you could be a part of. And they had this sign that said, Fishers of Men. And in these years, I was actually the director of the Women's Resource Center on campus, very active in the women's movement. And so when I, I really despised that sign. Fishers of men. What about women? What is the deal? So my first time to go up to that table was so humbling. I, I, I kind of crept behind pillar to pillar to get there. And um, I had the opportunity then, met the gal, signed up for a Bible study. And that was huge for me. That was so good. I later met with the Bible study teacher who has become a very dear friend of mine. 
ended up living with her in a group of women the next year, which was a saving grace. All of them had been Christians a really long time, and I was three months in when I moved into the house with them. We would get together in the mornings, every morning, and pray for a half an hour before we started our day. And I got to see the hand of God move in powerful ways. It was, it was incredible. So in Campus Crusade for Christ, and then you're starting to graduate, and people are choosing what it is they want to do, and they're becoming missionaries. They're going all over the world. That's, they're raising support. They're doing their thing. And I thought that was what you did. That was the highlight of being a Christian. And I said, yes, God, I will go. I will go wherever you want me to go. And God called me to stay, which was kind of hard. Do you know that? Ever have that when you go, I will go, I will go. And he says, fabulous, I want you to stay. In the midst of this, John and my friendship is turning into something much more. So I'm seeing him about every two weeks. And that, that is now a budding romance and a deepening encouragement in our walks with God. So all that is happening at the same time. So in San Diego, Jesus says, stay. I did. And I got um, on staff with Youth for Christ on the youth guidance section. I was a sociology major and uh, political science, loved criminology, got involved with youth guidance, which is the side that works with troubled youth. So I worked there for three years, primarily heading up a program that was for pregnant teens and teen moms. I moved up to where I had grown up because this relationship with John was getting serious and I could get a job with youth guidance up there. And so I did, moved up there. We ended up getting married. I was 24. He was 23. He married the older woman. We were very active in church. He was very active. And I dove in, loved the church we went to. It was very biblically based, solid foundation in the word. So good. And uh, we also started a theater ministry called Last Minute Productions. So that was incredible. I, we actually thought that that was going to be the direction of our life. John and I met in theater. I was an actress. That's the role I wanted to pursue. And we're in L.A., theater company, and we got to put on full-length plays, do theater ministry on the street. Really loved that. Really did. But the thing is, is if you're doing theater, it's at night. Like I would work all day and then have dinner and then go to rehearsals and practices. And when it came time that we wanted to start a family, we realized that this, this is not conducive for both of us to be working full time and doing theater ministry at night. Meanwhile, I'm still in this church, which was lovely people and some lifelong friends that I made there. Solid foundation in the word. Loved it. So grateful for it. But in there, I didn't know much about intimacy with Jesus. I didn't, you know, the Greek word yada him, know him, gnosis, that knowing that equals experiencing him, tangibly hearing his voice knowing his personal pursuit, his intimate love, experiencing his power, even feeling his presence. I didn't know that the supernatural 
could become normal, the normal every day. So I know I'm jumping over things because we're at this fabulous church for five years. During that time, John has gone back to school full-time because he didn't have his degree yet. And then once he graduated is when we wanted to start a family. He got a job. He got transferred to the East Coast. We moved with our newborn. Got involved with a really great church there. So community-oriented. We moved there because of the church. They were mutual friends. We didn't know them well, the pastor and his wife, but friends of ours did. So we moved to this town. And the day we moved in, the pastor was at our door asking if he could get a team of people to help us unpack. That kind of a church. And we were in. That was fabulous. Fabulous for me, but not so great for John. And if you're aware of his story or have read Wild at Heart, you know that working in D.C., taking the train in every day, and that whole world did not make his heart come alive, which was difficult because my heart really came alive. Being involved in that church and the friends, and we were doing theater ministry on Sundays, and just me and my little boy exploring the world. Sometimes I'd have the car. Most days I wouldn't, but it was really good. But my husband was dying, and you can't have that. So we ended up moving back to Southern California, and that was incredibly hard because where we lived was no longer near the church we went to. The theater company had disbanded, and that was a really, really lonely time. We had our second child, Blaine. First was Sam. Then we have Blaine. They're pretty close together. My big outing was to go to the grocery store. That was a tough. We were there for about a year and a half, and it was hard to find a church. Pressing into Jesus, don't really know how. And they're so demanding, these little ones. My, you know, I'll put in quotes, quiet times would be about three minutes or when I was in the restroom, just, you know, taking sips of God when I could. And he was there and he was sustaining and he was moving, but it was tough. After those years, we ended up moving to Colorado. And Colorado Springs had a little reputation back then that people moved to Colorado Springs and their life fell apart. <laughs> it was, I don't know what it's about. Maybe it just happens with every move, but the healing waters of the springs, something happening with God going, okay, let's go after it. So when we moved to Colorado Springs, and this is 1991, I feel like my life did fall apart. And it was because of the loneliness, but also because of the invitation to go, you've been running a long time here without dealing with any of those things I mentioned earlier. I was a new creation in Christ. There you go. The past is over and gone. The new has come. And I dove into the new, but my past started creeping up on me. And it needed to be dealt with. So that was my first introduction to counseling. And I went for three years, and it was profoundly life-changing. There was a time about two years in where I got really stuck. I couldn't make any progress. I, I was just stuck. And that's when I got introduced to the idea, the possibility of spiritual warfare. It was not a category for me. I didn't know anything about it or the reality of it or that there was 
any effect on it, on my life as a Christian. And my counselor said, let's do the steps to freedom. Neil Anderson's Steps to Freedom. There's seven steps. I don't know if you know him, but I was introduced to his book about this time. This is now 1993. And I said, I'm in. I want all the healing and all the growth that I can have. So in 93, with my counselor, we prayed through the seven steps to freedom. And it was like a light bulb came on in my spirit. I left there a changed woman. This is also around the time that we had our third son, Luke. And so my hands are full, and so is my heart. Prior to that, I loved the scriptures, but I was pretty much in the Psalms, maybe Proverbs. John would be reading Romans, and I'm like, what are you doing reading? That's so boring. But when I came home after experiencing healing and deliverance and freedom, suddenly the word came alive to me, and I loved it. And I dove into Romans. I dove into this stuff. And ah, oh, my relationship with Jesus just blossomed. And so did my relationship with John. You may have heard the story before. I share it at Captivating Retreats where in our marriage was operating a spirit of accusation where I felt that nothing I did was good enough to John. I knew that he loved me, but I felt like a failure, which is also tied to my story. But I felt like I was disappointing him all the time. Then one night, John says to me after a particularly awkward dinner, after the kids have left the table, he said, Stacy, I feel like I am constantly disappointing you, that I am a failure to you. I was shocked. I said, I don't feel anything like that towards you, but I sure feel it from you. He said, I don't feel anything like that towards you. Oh, my goodness. It was in that moment that we discovered there was something else operating in our marriage, something else in the room. So it was the first time we actually stood up together and in the name of Jesus, rebuked a spirit of accusation and sent it to the throne of Jesus Christ for judgment. And it left. Oh my goodness, it left. The freedom of John and I having nothing in between us of just accusing each other or accusing ourselves to ourselves was dramatic. And after that, it would still try to slip in. But when it did, we would recognize it much more quickly and not make agreements with it. I realize that I am going really fast here and that this may be um, introducing more questions to you. There are answers to be had. If spiritual warfare is a new concept to you, and I doubt that it is, a great place to begin is with one of Neil Anderson's books, Bondage Breaker or Freedom in Christ. Really good. All of this is happening in my life, this freedom, this deepening knowing of God, this awakening to his love. And it was huge. It was like a second conversion. So in the back of one of Neil Anderson's books is this list of who I am in Christ. It's just sentences with the scripture references. And I spent two years in that list every morning and every night. And I'm actually going to read it to you because this is truth. And it's so good to hear 
and it's so good to marinate your heart in. I'm not going to give you the scripture references, but you can actually look up this online. Ready? Here's the truth. I am God's child. As a disciple, I am a friend of Jesus Christ. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord, and I am one with Him in spirit. I have been bought with a price, and I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been chosen by God and adopted as His child. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. I am free from condemnation. I am assured that God works for my good in all circumstances. I am free from any condemnation brought against me, and I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established and anointed and sealed by God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that God will complete the good work He started in me. I am a citizen of heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Isn't that a good one? I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am a branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine, and a channel of his love. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes. Isn't that so good? Yes, to marinate our hearts in the truth. In fact, I'm going to bring that list and start doing this again. I loved it. I also started spending a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 1, and I just camped there. I just stayed there. It was really good. The Word of God is transformative. Now, let's fast forward another, oh, four years. I am in love with God and wanting more. And I began to hear stories of women going to a little private retreat at a woman's home and learning about the power of worship, about the privilege of anointing God with our love, with pouring out our love as worship to Him, and the, the joy of ministering to His heart. Of, of encountering his love, of hearing his voice more clearly, of even getting to see him in our spiritual eyes, of just, oh, I'm just hearing these stories of a deeper intimacy with Jesus, and I, I hungered for it. So finally, one day I find out who this woman is, and I get to go and just have a time of learning about the beauty of Mary of Bethany's life of pouring out her love and affection and adoration onto Jesus, 
about being a wholehearted lover of God, about setting our gaze on Jesus and hanging on his every word and how much he loves that. And I began to have a life of growing, intimate, private worship with Jesus, of setting apart time in the morning or in the evenings, even creating a little space in my basement with a little old chair that I could sit and worship him. I started having times of exchanging childcare with a friend so that we could each have extended times of worship. And this has become the passion of my life, to know Jesus, to worship him, and for worship to become the motivator of everything I do and my life. It's not just an hour. It's not just singing praise. It's not just only on Sundays. It's a posture of the heart, of lifting him up. All this is going on in my life at the same time that God is stirring so much in John's life. And this is when he wrote The Sacred Romance with Brent Curtis. So John and my journeys into the reality of the larger story, of the reality of a spiritual realm, of spiritual warfare, the reality of the desires of Christ to partner with us actively, moment by moment, continually dispensing his life to us and through us was well-timed and explosively beautiful. The, the honor of hearing his voice, the call to obey him from a heart of love, learning to obey his gentle nudges, pouring out my heart to him in intimate and corporate and private worship, and experiencing his love and his guidance. (laughs) Oh, wow. What is available in Christ to know him, to walk with him, to see him, to be enraptured by his beauty is is everything. And here's the cool thing, and you know this already. You never get to the bottom of it. You never go, okay, I've plumbed the depths of Jesus. I know everything about him. I've seen all of his splendor and his majesty. Nope. It never comes to an end. There is always more. There's more available, and that's what I'm after and hungry for, more of knowing him, more of being captured by him. And in that, having more healing more deliverance, more freedom, more life, just more. And that being hungry for him is a very good thing, wanting more. There's like a a thing called a holy dissatisfaction when there's times in our lives when we go, I just have to have more of you, God. And that is really a gift. It's uncomfortable but it's an invitation to the more, to know him more deeply, experiencing him more fully, being filled with him more deeply and having his life pour out through us to others in love wherever we go. Yes, God. You know, our lives have never been the same, not since I was 21 years old, moving more deeply, into the love of God, learning his forgiveness, learning his grace, learning that there is no one higher to love or have my life be about. So 
I'm coming to a close, but I, I want to tell you what I'm in these days. This is, this is from Ephesians. I think it's chapter 3, starting in 14. This is used in the 30 Days to Resilient program on our pause app, but let's hear it here. I still love Ephesians. I don't know that I have a favorite book, but I'm, I'm pretty um, in love with that book. Listen to this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Don't you love that? I love this to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, to know it. And it surpasses knowledge, meaning that you, you never come to the end of it. You can dive in, swim in it, go deep, marinate in it, be held by it, float in it. You are safe in it, and you'll never come to the end of it. Wow, that is really good news. Friends, like you, my journey continues. The journey of sanctification is one that happens all throughout our lives. I'm not going to be completely transformed till I see him face to face. And God is so faithful to, to want me to know him and to reveal places in my life that are in the way, in the way of me being the woman he wants me to be, in the way of knowing him as deeply as I can. He's been addressing my style of relating. He's exposed ways that I am not loving or trusting him and exposed them in kindness so that I'm able to repent, not out of shame, but out of gratefulness of his invitation, yes, repenting, yes, seeking forgiveness, and then yes, stepping more into the love and freedom and wholeness that he has for me. Right now, I am diving into pursuing living from a posture of rest, of trusting God with everything, trusting his heart, trusting the goodness of his heart in others and for others. He's got them. He's got me. His plans are good. He is a powerful, majestic, magnificent, beautiful, loving, intentional God who will never stop pursuing any one of us because of his great love for us. So there's my abbreviated testimony, and I praise God over it. Bless you, friends, as you maybe are inspired to look over your life and see where God has come for you. Yes, there's more. Yes, we want more. He is the God of more. And he is captivated by you. Bless your day. 
and see you next time.